This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Shay Robbins. And today we continue our series, A Good Example. And today we're talking about what it looks like to be a good example in love. And so um, we've got just some awesome scripture that we're going to reference today and we're going to grow together. Um, the way that I want to start our message is I want to show you a picture from my family Christmas on my mom's side. So this is the Biddle family. Um, this is Granny and Pa. And Granny and Pa, they have 44 kids, great grid, uh, let's see, kids, grandkids, and great grandkids total. So they've got this huge family. And it just so happens that this Christmas was the last Christmas that we got to spend with Pa. About a week ago, um, he died. He had been wrestling with dementia for many years. And so it was time for him to go. But obviously, it was an emotional season for a family. And I actually want to tell you about my pa this morning a little bit. Um, he was as good of a grandpa as a kid could possibly have. Um, some of my fond memories growing up with Granny and Pa, they're, they're farmers up in Illinois, and um, they love bluegrass music. And so we grew up going to bluegrass festivals with Granny and Pa. They'd pull a fifth wheel behind their truck and go to county fairs, and Granny actually played the tub, the literal wash tub, um, and then Pa, he played the fiddle. He was self-taught, and he could play anything he could whistle, and that man could whistle up a storm. And so I have just the most amazing memories at these bluegrass jams. And when Pa would walk up to a circle and, and get his fiddle out, like all eyes went on him. He was the star of the show. And um, uh, growing up as a kid, like those were just like memories that I lived and longed for. When I would go and visit and stay at their farmhouse, I was always eager. I'd wake up and do chores early with Pa. And so we'd wake up, you know, even as a five, six, seven-year-old, I'd wake up early, go do chores with them, and then we'd come in. Granny would have a hot meal ready, and all the farmhands would sit there, and I'd drink coffee with them as a little kid. And, uh, and then in the evenings at Granny and Pa's, Pa would walk around the house before he'd go to bed, and he'd play his fiddle. And I can just, I can see him and hear him to this day walking around almost as if he was just putting the whole household to bed. And then um, you would think he'd gone off to bed and then the next thing you know, he'd be standing over at the freezer in his underwear chewing on a frozen Snickers bar. The guy was, uh, he was infamous for his love of snacking in the middle of the night. Um, and so anyway, we went to the funeral and just shared just amazing memories with my family. I was a pallbearer and we were riding in this little van with, with some of my male cousins out to the burial site and everybody was sharing these memories. And I, it just struck me like Paul was a memory machine. Like he was just so great at creating these memories. And, you know, he grew up in a generation that... Um, didn't cry, didn't show a lot of emotion. They were tough men. But Paul would say, I love you in so many like unique and creative ways. He would wink at you and it would just warm your heart. He'd give you a nudge and a smile. He'd slide 20 bucks in your pocket. He'd fill your gas tank up. And he, he, just, he was just known for that. 
He just knew how to say I love you in a thousand different ways. And, and today we're going to talk about that. How do you show people you love them? How do you do it in a lasting way, a way that matters, a way that changes somebody's life? And so in the vein of our, our series, A Good Example, in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul, he encouraged Timothy to influence those around him by setting a good example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and in purity. And, and the golden thread of this entire series is the word maturity. We're, we're going to talk about what it looks like to mature in our faith in these five specific ways. And, and what we're going to do is, is really like each week, we need to just do some self-reflection and ask ourselves, how am I growing in this way? We're going to pick up uh, our text today in 1 John. And we're going to pull a bunch of different texts, and they're all going to come from books that the Apostle John wrote. We're going to pull from the Gospel of John, and then, of course, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I think it's kind of interesting to know the character or the author that wrote these passages. So John, um, one of the, the things that you'll see and that he is known for is throughout the books that he wrote, he talks about love nonstop. It is a constant storyline through his narrative. So uh, we we know that he was a a fairly sensitive guy. Um, He refers to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he really like took this very humble position and referred to himself in the third person as somebody who God loved. And, And so there's this sensitive loving side, but also we know that John was given a nickname, him and his brother James were nicknamed the, fun, the sons of thunder by Jesus himself. And so there was also this like strong, fiery, passionate side to him. And another interesting thing to note is after Jesus was crucified, or excuse me, during the crucifixion, we know that for the, um, to the best of our knowledge, the majority of the disciples had scattered. And there was a number of women that, that came and attended his crucifixion. But we know that the only disciple that we know of who was there as an eyewitness of the crucifixion was John. John was there standing next to Jesus' mother. Um, so really, uh, really a great authority and a great text to go to as we, we jump into this. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to establish kind of a baseline for love. And we're going we're to do this in 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. It says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. So we're talking about our adoption into God's family. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. So this is, this is super foundational to, to being able to show God's love is first, you got to understand that the gospel, it unlocks an understanding of love that is only attained through the adoption into God's family. In other words, there is, there is a higher power, a higher source of love that we have access to, but the only way we can have access to it is to come under the authority of it and to be adopted into God's family. Now, you guys know in... The English language, there's the word love is thrown around and it's used in all kinds of different ways. So there's all kinds of, of love and each one has 
a different quality. So um, I love the Super Bowl, like I'm a huge fan, but I also love my wife. Is that the same kind of love? Better not be, better not be, right? I love my mom, but I love chicken wings. Anybody with me on that one? Mom, chicken wings? Okay. And then uh, I also love, let's see, I love my son, but I also love dip. Any dip fans out there? Okay, get your, right, get your pencils ready. I'm going to give you a little dip recipe on Super Bowl Sunday. I made this two weeks ago at the championship. It's, uh, it's buffalo chicken dip, right? So I took some chicken breast, smoked it at 350 for 35 minutes. Then I shredded it and I put it in the crock pot. Then I put a block of cream cheese, a cup of sour cream, a fistful more of shredded cheese in there. And then I dumped a whole bottle of Red Hot and I boiled that thing up in the crock pot, okay? Then it was all mixed up and I'm like, this is phenomenal, but wait, there's more, okay? (laughs) Then I took the crock pot out and I put more shredded cheese on the top. I put it in the broiler and I broiled it until the top was like crispy and brown. Oh, I nailed it. Phenomenal, right? So you can eat it with tortilla chips or if you're cutting out the carbs, you could use some pork rinds, right? Put it on there. Killer. That is a killer. Me. Now I am passionate about dip. My son runs over. I say, son, I love you too, but you know, go play in the woods. I'm talking to people about dip right now, right? I joke. I don't love dip the same way I love my son. I'm not going to lay my life down for my dip, nor am I going to pay for my dips college, Right? There's all kinds of qualities of love. Well, I want to talk to you about the quality of God's love. Check this out. The quality of God's love is pristine, proper, powerful, and perpetual. See what I did there? It's called alliteration. Help you remember. I'm really on it here. Um, pristine. So let me talk about each one of these words. Pristine means it is, it is pure. It's unblemished. See, you and I, our love can be blemished, can it not? We can be impatient, we can be in a hurry, we can be angry, we can be upset, and it taints our love. But with God, he is holy, he is perfect, and his love is untainted. It's pristine. It's also proper. When I talk with teenagers about what the proper place for love is, we always talk about a fire ring out in the middle of the woods. And inside that fire ring, you build a blazing fire and it's beautiful and it's warming and it's comforting. It's an amazing, awesome power when it's in its proper place. But when that fire gets outside the ring and it catches fire out in the woods, you can have all, all kinds of destruction from fire itself. And so with God, we know that, that his love, it comes in the proper context. Love in our world has gotten way outside the fire ring. And it's creating all kinds of destruction despite what people tell you. It's it's causing destruction in people's lives. And so we know that his love is both pristine and proper. Not only that, but it's also powerful. According to Romans chapter 8, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. For those of you who have been adopted into God's family... There is not a single sin 
No wretched act, nothing that you can do that can separate you from his love. And then finally, it is perpetual, meaning it's everlasting. It doesn't slow down. It doesn't lose momentum. It's inevitable. It keeps on going. So that's the quality of love that we're talking about. And so before we could ever show this quality of love, we have to receive God's love first. So the question is, how do you, how do you receive it? You just, I think about that, that receiver out on the field who's calling for the ball. If the ball gets thrown to them and they, they drop it, there's no value, there's no score, there's no yardage, there's no advancement. But when we call for the ball, you got to receive it. So before you can ever give God's love, that, that, that pristine quality of love, you've got to receive it first. So how do we go about that? Well, um, I want to break it down in two ways. You guys have heard the, these Christianese phrases of mercy and grace, right? Mercy and grace, mercy and grace. Well, these two words, they're powerful, and a lot of times they're lumped together. But the reality is they actually have two very unique and specific meanings. So mercy is this. It's not receiving something we do deserve. In other words, when one of my kids acts out as disrespectful for, uh, to, to their mother, my response as the father is there is a punishment that fits the crime. And they deserve that punishment, and so it is with us. For the wages of sin is death. There's a cost for the sin in our life. But what, what God's mercy does is it says, yes, you do deserve to be punished. There is a consequence for your actions. But I'm going to take that consequence upon myself. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's his mercy. And so he rem- removes this the, the wrath of a, of a holy God and he takes it upon himself in the cross and you and I get to receive mercy. Now, that's a powerful and amazing thing. But I think a lot of times <clears throat> we as Christians, we can stop there and be thankful. Like, I, I'm happy with my fire insurance. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But many times we hold on to the guilt and the shame of our sin from the past. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. What, what I've done is too shameful. I'm just going to put my head down and be a nice guy or be a good gal. And just hang on to God's mercy. But, but, but there's more to it. The other half of God's love that he wants to lavish upon you is his grace. And here's what his grace is. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. So back to Romans 6.23, it breaks it down this way. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In In other words, the love that God wants to give you, he wants to give you, not only he wants to take on the punishment that you deserve and show you mercy, but he also wants to give you the gift of eternal life. And with that comes a whole bunch of awesome things. When you're adopted in the family of God, you also become an heir and an heir has an inheritance. Okay, so, so here are some of the, the pieces of the puzzle when it comes to God's grace. When, when you become a part of God's family, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. It seals you. 
guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. Number two, it empowers you, gives you power to overcome the sin that has been wrecking your life. It gives you strength and victory. He also gives you gifts through the Holy Spirit. So, so very specific, unique gifts that God's given just you so that you can turn around and you can build up the rest of the body of Christ with your specific gift. Not only that, he gives you the ability to have joy in all circumstances. No matter how bad things are, no matter rough things get, you can still have joy because you know that your hope is in heaven. And that when this broken eggshell of an earth, it, uh, when I depart from it, I'll be going into perfection where all of my pain, my sin, my mourning, my sadness, my tears, they're all removed and done away with. And on top of all of that, he gives you the capacity to love in a new way. That's God's grace. And so for you to receive God's love before you can ever show it, you've got to accept everything that that comes with this package of being his son or his daughter. John, uh, 1 John 4, 19, he puts it this way. We love because he first loves us. You know, uh, many times I would say for sure a week, maybe daily, I will recall myself at my very worst like the lowest and darkest moments of my life. And, and I don't do this. We should not do this in such a way where the guilt and the shame gets humped, like heaped back on us and we live under some condemnation. But instead, the, the, recollection, or, excuse me, the recollection of that darkness should remind us how thankful we are for how much we've been saved from. Thank you, God, for delivering me. And what that does is when you encounter people who are hard to love, who really cook your grits, who are driving you crazy, right? You go back to that place and you remember, oh, I've been forgiven of so much. That gives me the ability to turn and love even the hardest of people, right? So that's our foundation for loving like Jesus the next thing we got to do is, is we got to ask ourselves, so what does it actually look like? How do I practically love like Jesus? And in order to dive into that, to, to find out uh, the next steps we take, we're going to go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. And here's what John writes. He says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. In other words, this is a, I always write EOF when I run into statements like this in my Bible. And there happens to be nine in 1 John, but EOF is evidence of faith, right? So this is, this determines, is this real genuine faith? And here we see it's insincere. It's not true. It's actually a lie. doesn't matter what you call yourself or what family you say you're in. What do your actions illustrate? The truth is not in them. But here's the other side of it. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. So we have a a picture of a sincere faith. And he goes on. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walks. So here we go. If you want to love like Jesus, we've got to walk in his footsteps. 
We've got to follow his example. The best example that I could think of for us this morning to dig into is from John chapter 13. This is, uh, this is that amazing setting where the disciples are gathered together in the upper room. This is the night before Jesus is betrayed and crucified. And, and he's got all of his disciples gathered together in this very intimate setting. And, and he says this, or excuse me, the text goes on this way. It says, now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during the supper, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, and he laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel, and he tied it around himself. Then he poured out the water onto the basin, and he began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with his towel which he had tied around himself. Now think about this. This was a really common practice during, during this uh, time period is that people were walking through the arid desert. It was hot and they were wearing sandals and, and tunics. And as they walked through the hot arid uh, climate, sweat's just pouring down their body. It's running down their feet. The dust is kicking up from the roadway. It's caking to their feet. There's a manure all over from animals. And when you come into someone's home as a guest, it was customary to wash their feet. They're filthy. But, but the job was typically given to a servant in the household, right? This was the paid help. And they would get down on their knees and, and take on this very humiliating task of washing someone's filthy feet. Sweat, mud, and feces. And, and here's Jesus, who just days before had ridden into Jerusalem on the colt foal of a donkey, and the people were waving palm branches, and what were they saying? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people who are recognizing him rightly as the chosen one, the Messiah, the one that the, the entire nation had been waiting for. Here he is. And now on this evening, he takes off his tunic, he wraps a towel around his waist and he humbles himself before his disciples and he washes their feet doing the job of a servant. I mean, how powerful of a picture did he paint? A searing memory he placed in their minds of what love is supposed to look like. The passage continues in verses 14 and 15. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. You know, I think about my pa and the way that he lived his life. I told you earlier, he was a memory machine. Well, Jesus, on a whole nother level, he carved out this memory in these men's lives. What's interesting is that according to Luke 22, just before he did this, they were bickering about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
And, and I drew out, I just kind of combed through this over and over again, and I pulled out some observations. And this is not a complete list. These are just a handful that stuck out to me that I want to share with you as we seek to follow Jesus' example. So number one is he was intentional. The timing of this is incredible. Judas was actually still sitting in the room. And, and we know potentially minutes later, maybe within the hour, he was gone. And gone off to betray. But, but he timed it such that Judas would be sitting there and that he could serve and wash the feet of the one who betrayed him. Now, is that a good example today? Think about it as we, we cruise the interwebs and get on Facebook and people are saying things that are lighting us up or upsetting us. How would Jesus love them according to this example? Another thing is, is he considers others as better than himself. I mean, the fact that one of his last acts would be such a humbling act. I mean, he was going to be humble, right? The clothes, within a matter of hours, his clothes would be stripped, be beaten, punched, kicked, spit on, a crown of thorns beaten into his skull, his body lacerated before the crowds. Rejected by men, they, they released Barabbas, a thief instead of him. I mean, the list goes on and on. Hung up on a cross naked for the vultures. And yet, under his own power, he chose to humble himself. And this rolls into this next one, that he holds a high view of his friends. High value. That's the honor that we talk about in this church all the time. By him getting on his knees, he elevated his friends and said, this is how I feel about you. Another one is servant-hearted leadership. This, I, I think about this and, you know, when Jesus came, he, he flipped everything on its head. The people at the time, many of them missed that Jesus was the Messiah because they were looking for a political savior. Just like many of us. We miss the actual Messiah because we're looking for a political savior. They missed it. Years ago, I watched my mom. Uh, we went and visited a friend who was having a hard time, and she goes up into her office. She gets down on her knees and begins taking her shoes and her socks off and rubs this woman's feet while she's asking her how she's doing. I've never forgotten that picture in my head. He was enduring, patient, and gracious. Think about the knuckleheads that are surrounding him and what fools they were for all this time. He's so patient with them. I think about my wife and how she, dis she displays this in our house. We step on her toes all day long. And yet she is a relentless, gracious servant in our home. And then finally, this is not some theological fact. This is my opinion I think this is the ultimate display of, of love is second only to the cross. It's so powerful of an example. And so how do we apply this? Very practically, we love through words and deeds. Love is an action here, people. For the men out there who have a hard time saying, I love you. I know that's a thing. Yes, you show it. We know that you love you. You need to use your words. Daddies, you need to grab that 13-year-old boy and you need to tell him you're proud of him and why you're proud of him. 
Mommies, you need to grab your daughters and tell her that she's beautiful inside and out and where her value truly comes from. Like they need to hear it with your words. And, and equally so, uh, John Piper, he said, showing love for Christians, it should be like breathing. Our love is rooted in our new birth and we ought to, we ought to love like birds fly like hyenas laugh and like fish swim. That is who we are and it is what we do. Um, And frankly, without love, we don't have Christianity. You just got another version of moralism. It is the love of Christ that sets this apart, that sets our faith apart from every other false religion that is empty and has no answers for this world. I'm going to close this way. So John, he closes his gospel by these, this really amazing statement. He says, this is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his witness is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. I look forward to the day where I am long gone from this earth and I'll be able to hear all the stories of what he did. But my question for our church family today is off the heels of this. Who are your witnesses? Who is it that's watching your life play out? And what would they write in your book? What would your book be filled with? What would be the storylines of your life? And, and the, it, the challenge I would issue to just all of us is that regardless of what the storylines would be in the past, that each chapter moving forward, that the main storyline would be love. That he or she displayed the love of Jesus every day of their life and it changed my life as a result. That is my hope and desire for all of us. Let's stand to our feet and uh, pray together before we're dismissed. Father, we thank you. Um, We thank you for today. It's a fun day. Thank you for an opportunity for families to rally together and enjoy each other and to love each other. Um, We thank you for uh, Valentine's Day just being a reminder uh, to care for marriage and for one another deeply and thoughtfully. We just ask you, God, that you would help us grow up in your love and that we would both receive and give your love, and uh, that it would be a great example to those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.